um, are preparing to move to Brazil. And so I wanted to talk, oh, all right. Uh, like some people were excited we're leaving. So that's cool, that's cool. Um, I, don't, I don't even know who said that. And that was a joke, that was a joke. Um, but I wanted to take just a moment and give you an update. So I've been going back and forth for a while doing some stuff. And so I wanted to give you an update. So this picture right here is actually taken out of a window of an Airbnb that I stay at when I go many times. Um, and I know what you immediately are probably thinking. Dang, Bob, you must stay in really nice places. Uh, no, this building was built in 1967. Um, it just happens to have an incredible view, okay? Um, but what's interesting about the picture or where the building is located is you can see a big portion of the city, and so it's really cool. And so the city of Sao Paulo, Brazil, is the largest city in the southern hemisphere. The metro area of Sao Paulo is in the vicinity of 20 million people. Um, and so, yeah, <laughs> that's where we're going to live. Um, and so I've been going back and forth, building some relationships, that sort of thing. And I wanted to highlight a couple of them. Um, the next picture is a picture of, so this guy uh, right here, his name is Judson, which is actually not a very Brazilian name. And he laughs at his name all the time. But he's the guy that actually um, owns that apartment that I stay. Um, this guy's name is Paulo. Um, neither one of these guys are Christian. Um, but they have helped me out tremendously every time when I go. Like I hang out with them. Um, I spend time with them. Um, the guy on the left, Paulo, when I was there last time, I had to get this government ID. And it can take like forever to get it. And so this guy, Paulo, went with me, and if he would have not been with me, I would have not gotten this ID. Like, I would, it wouldn't have happened. And so he spent pretty much all, half of a whole day with me to get this number. And so I find it, I don't know, I'm going to use the word humorous. It's probably not the right word, but I find it humorous that a man who is not a Christian is helping do the Lord's work in Sao Paulo, Brazil. I find that fascinating. Um, so super cool guys. We have spiritual conversations all the time. Um, so... Uh, those are the two, two of the guys that you could pray about. I want to show you two more guys. Um, the guy on the right, um, his name is Ruggiero. Uh, the guy on the left, his name is Rodrigo. Um, and uh, they both have different levels of English. But so we get together. Long story short, we get together at this restaurant almost every time when I'm there. The first time when I was there, I thought I was ordering chicken. Um, I did not order chicken and I ordered this gigantic plate to share with like 12 people and there was, and there was only three of us. Um, and so now they laugh every time, hey, are we going to meet and have chicken? And so they think it's really funny. Um, the guy on the right, Ruggiero, um, depending on what day you talk to him, he would say, that he's either an atheist or kind of sort of a Christian. So he doesn't really know exactly where he's at with Jesus yet. Um, the guy on the left, um, he's a Christian. He's a super interesting guy. He's working hard on his English about four weeks ago. Um, he, so lots of people ride motorcycles because the motorcycles don't have to obey the law. They can go wherever they want to go. And about four weeks ago, he was on his motorcycle he laughs about it now. At the time, I'm sure he was not laughing. He's on his motorcycle. He's, he's stopped. Two guys on one motorcycle pull up beside him, and he thinks that they think that he's somebody else, and so he's kind of like, and he realizes that it's not because they think that he's somebody else, it's because they want his motorcycle. When the dude on the back pulls up his shirt and has got a gun, um, and so they make him get off his motorcycle, they steal his phone, and they take off. Um, and so he laughs about it now because he thought that they were just like, wanted to be friendly, so he's kind of like, <clears throat> um, but 
So it's not all that, he, they were not all that friendly. Um, <clears throat> I want to show you one more picture just to let you know a little bit of the climate or the culture. Unless you know Portuguese, you can't read that. Um, I had somebody else translate it for me because I don't know that much Portuguese. Um, I can say, bon dia, bon dia. That's good morning, say that. Bon dia, bon dia. Todo bem? And you're supposed to reply that with the same thing. Todo bem? Um, basically, that one's really weird because it's like everything's good, but you... And you respond, everything's good, but you do it with an inflection. So you're saying the same thing back and forth, which is kind of weird, but everything's good? Everything's good. Um, but this sign right here uh, is on just a light pole uh, on a street, and this is what it says. It's a witchcraft ad. And it says, powerful bonding for love stops suffering, infallible spells for all sorts of needs, pay after results only. So um, another guy who I don't have his picture for told me part of his story. Um, his family was practicing Buddhist, then they started messing around with witchcraft. His family actually now is Christian, but it's very common uh, in Brazil for, especially people who grew up in the Catholic church, it's very common for you to say, okay, I go to the Catholic church, but I'm completely okay with asking other gods for favors. And so that's kind of the culture uh, of the city. So I wanted to show you that. Also wanted to mention, if you want to just kind of keep up with what's going on, we have a website that you can get updates and see stuff, reach Sampa. The word Sampa is like a, is like a slang word. It's like the abbreviation. So the city's name is Sampalo, and so Sampa is an abbreviation for that. So if you wanted to get some updates, you could do that, okay? Is that enough for TV commercial timeout? Now can we get to the real stuff? Um, Today's message is really interesting because in some ways it probably should be talked about two weeks from now, okay? And so what I want you to know is that what we're talking about today, actually, if you're looking at it linear, linearly, how do you say that word? You know what I'm saying? Like in a straight line? Um, <laughs> if you're looking at it in a straight line, what we're talking about would be like in a couple weeks. But I think this is really important and interesting for us to look at it today because I think it has, uh, it for sure has implications on all of our lives. So I wanted us to look at it today. I think it's really, really interesting. Um, you know, when you look in scripture, there's many prophecies about the birth of Jesus, okay? There's a lot of prophecies about the birth of baby Jesus. But what's also interesting when you look at scripture is there's actually about five times as many prophecy about the second coming of Jesus, okay? So we like baby Jesus because it's, because he's, you know, six pound, eight ounce baby Jesus is cute. And if you're not laughing, it's because you didn't watch the movie, but... But we like baby Jesus because he's cute, right? Like baby Jesus is pretty cool. We even like, we even like miracle Jesus, right? Because who wouldn't want a miracle? So we like miracle Jesus. G miracle Jesus is cool. Um, we like teaching Jesus in some ways because some of the things that he teaches are helpful. So there's several things like, oh, we like this Jesus. We like this Jesus. But the question I want to pose this morning is, do we like the coming again judging Jesus? And we... Even right now, as I said that, the air kind of got sucked out of the room a little bit, and some of you are like, oh, crap, I should have come to church next week and not this week. But I want us to look at it because I think that it's super insightful, and we spend so much time talking about the coming of baby Jesus, but there's five times more prophecy about 
the second coming of Jesus, and we just don't always talk about that very often. And so I want to look at it. I think it's super interesting, and I think in, in some ways it's really helpful. The first piece of scripture that I want us to look at is, is in the book of Revelation chapter 19, and it just kind of highlights for us a little bit about the second coming, and then we're going to look at another piece of scripture and, and kind of walk through that. But this is, this is what it says, Revelation chapter 19, starting in verse 11. Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, the one sitting on it called Faithful and True. And in righteousness, he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And, ha- and he has his name written that the one who know, but no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood. Like, how about that? imagery. He's clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the word of God. And the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. And then don't miss this. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has the name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. That's a long way from baby Jesus. And I don't know about you, but we don't, I don't, like it's kind of a little bit overwhelming to even think about, right? And so I want us to talk about it because like when we read, so when Jesus, we read Jesus saying, come to me those who are weary, like that's great. And we, and we talk about that a lot here at the well. Come, those of you who are weary, you're worn out, you're burdened. Jesus makes a bridge, makes a path for you to get to God. And because of his righteousness and his holiness, we have access to God because of Jesus, who he is and what he's done. And we talk about that a lot. But we don't talk about this a lot. And here's, here's what some of you may be thinking or you have friends who think this. Well, he's just, he's just an angry, mean God. Who wants to have a relationship with an angry, mean God? And what I want to pose for you today is simply this, that when we truly understand the wrath of God, it actually heightens the love of God. It makes the love of God even better and greater when we clearly understand the wrath of God. And so that's what we're talking about. Welcome to the well. But I think if we understand it, it makes an impact. Like it's, it makes a big deal when we begin to understand this. Because there is going to be a day when, come to me, all of you who are weary, ends. There's going to be a day when it's over. And what we, in our weird brain, those of, who, of us who maybe even think about it a little bit, we, it's hard for us to understand what it's going to be like because in our mind we think it's going to be like, Jesus coming in like a spaceship from outer space. Like we kind of think like, but it's not like that. He invades our dimension because he's not, it's not going to be like, it's not going to be like fairy dust in him floating in on a unicorn. It's not like that. He steps in to our reality. And the righteousness and the holiness of who he is becomes clearly evident even for those who are running away from it. 
And so, but when we understand the wrath of God, it brings extra weight to the love of God. And I don't think that when we clearly understand the love of God and the wrath of God, it doesn't make him mean or angry or scary. It actually makes him incredibly generous and gracious and merciful. And so we're going to look at it, and I think it's super interesting. So we're going to highlight five things from the book of 2 Peter, 2 Peter chapter 3, starting in verse 1. And we're going to highlight five things. Um, if you want to jot them down, you can. Um, this is a ADD moment. There was something that I forgot to say during the Brazil TV commercial. Can I say one more thing? Um, one person give me permission to say it. After church, if you're interested in getting a coin from Brazil to help you remember to pray for us, come find me or Martha and we'll give you a coin, okay? Um, thank you. Second Peter chapter 3. Uh, starting in verse 1. And the first thing that we're going to draw out from this piece of scripture is that we need to remember to remember. And I know that you think, well, Bob, that's just dumb. Couldn't you just say remember? No. We need to remember to remember because we don't remember. Look what it says. Second Peter chapter 3, starting in verse 1. It says, this is now the second letter, okay? He's like, I'm, a, I'm telling you a second time. I'm writing to you for a second time, Beloved. In both of them, I am stirring up a sincere mind by a way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. He's like, I need you to remember to remember. And in a minute, he's going to break down some of the things that we need to remember. But we don't typically remember God's faithfulness. Like that's not a, remembering God's faithfulness is not something that we typically remember. Because you know what happens for us? We wake up in the morning, we have a lot of stuff to do, and we just get busy. And we just go about our day, and we forget to remember, dang, God's goodness allows me to wake up today. It changes a tad bit as you get older, but for the most part, we don't thank him. We're not reminded of his goodness in our life with our health until something bad happens. Then I go, come on, God, you got to help me out. But like when you get it, like for most of you who are in the room, you get up in the morning and you don't have any pain. Okay. But for some of us, that's not true. Okay. Because let me tell you what happens as you get older you start having these pains and you wake up in the morning and you're, so on one hand, you're bummed that you have pain, but on the other hand, you're reminded, God woke me up today. But we don't typically remember the goodness of God in our life until something bad happens. We just, day after day after day, we do things in our life and we don't remember the goodness of God in our life. And when you look at scripture, what happens is there's a promise of a savior, Jesus is born, okay? That's good. There's promise of atonement for sin, Jesus dies and is resurrected. That's good. The promise happened. There's also a promise of a second coming. And we need to remember that God is good, and so as we look at it today, we're reminded to remember to remember. Remember the good things that he's done in your life. Remember. 
like when you have when you have food to eat when you have clothes to wear, and I know what most of you do, you're standing in, in front of your closet and you say, I just don't have anything to wear, liar. You have a lot of stuff to wear that many people would be grateful for. They would, they would in some cases, kill for the clothes that you have in your closet, and yet we are ungrateful for the things that we have. You know why? Because we think that we, we earned it. We think that we're smart enough. We think that we're good enough. We think that we're strong enough. We think that we deserve the things that we have. And as a result, we neglect the goodness of God. And so, as we look at the first thing, remember to remember, I think we should remember the goodness of God, that we should look into the promises of God in Scripture and see that it happens time and time again. Something is promised and it is fulfilled. Something is promised and it is fulfilled Jesus coming back again is promised and there will be a day that it will be fulfilled. Remember to remember. Second thing that I want us to look at is beware of doubters. You and I need to beware of doubters and I think that this is super impactful and, we're gonna, and I'm gonna tell you why. So starting in verse three, this is what it says. Knowing this, first of all, um, okay, sometimes when I read the Bible, I... I chuckle a little bit because some things I find funny. I know that you're going to think this isn't funny, and you may think that it's a, I don't mean it disrespectful. I just think it's funny the way it says it. Look what it says. It says, knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing. I find that hilarious. Like, what else are they going to come with? You know, scoffers coming with something else. Like, I think that's funny, and it must be impactful because Scoffers are coming with scoffing, like we're reminded of it twice, like it's a big deal. Scoffers are coming with scoffing. And then it says, following their own sinful desires, following after what they want, not what God wants, following after themselves being God, not God being God. They will say, where's the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, and it's not like they're taking a nap, they're, they're dead. Ever since the fathers died, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. For they deliberately overlook this fact, the scoffers deliberately overlook this fact, that the heavens existed long ago, and that the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God and that by the means of these the waters the world then that then existed was deluged with water and perished verse 7 but by the same word the heavens and the earth now exist and are stored up for fire being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly so the first thing, beware of doubters or the scoffers, is because they pursue their own sinfulness. It's like when they hear somebody talk about that God has a plan for your life that's better than your own, they're like, I don't want that because my plan's pretty dang good. And then the other thing is, when they look at Scripture, they're looking at it from a skewed perspective because they're looking at Scripture trying to disprove it. Like it's like, Ooh, that's wrong. That's, that's stupid. That's dumb. Why does it say that? If you're, if you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus, for you and I, when we look at Scripture, we should approach it from a different perspective, not trying to disprove it, but even saying, you know what, I'm not sure I completely understand this, but I'm going to keep trying to understand. I'm going to dive into it. I'm going to study it. I'm going to look at it more, and I'm going to try my best to begin to understand better what it says. But the doubters are coming at it from a different perspective. They're always trying to disprove it. Now, can we take another TV timeout for a moment? 
And can we just be really honest? I won't talk about you, I'll just talk about me. That makes it more comfortable. There are times in my life where I begin to think, you know what, dang, it's been 2,000 years. Have we got this all wrong? And I have doubts. Like, it says that he's coming quickly, and I don't know what the definition is, but it doesn't feel quickly. And I start to question or doubt. And so sometimes, as a follower of Jesus, it's really easy to say those scoffers, those doubters, they look bad upon Scripture, they look bad upon Jesus. And yet you and I sometimes do the exact same thing because deep down, if we're really honest, we have to wonder, is this real? Like, what's he waiting for? He said he's coming back, but he, and he said he's coming back soon. And it hasn't happened. So, like, am I doing something wrong? Is there a different universe where that happened and it didn't happen in mine? And you have all these questions and these doubts. And so I think when I say be aware of doubters, it's not just the people who are anti-Jesus. It's also yourself because we are attacked from Satan himself to cause us to doubt. And this morning, I want us to remember that we need to remember and we need to be aware of doubters, those who are against Jesus and even those of us who try to follow him. Except maybe for those ones that try to predict when he's coming back. Like, are they not fascinating? Like, do they not read that part of scripture? Like, do they not read that? Like, or a while back, I don't know what it was, December 12th, 2012, and the, some calendar that none of us even look at anymore stopped, and so we think that that must be the end of the world because it's over, or some guy standing on the street corner that he's really convinced because in his cereal he saw the date of the time when Jesus is coming back and the world is going to end, or he saw it on his toast or whatever. It's interesting. Because here's what it says about the coming of Jesus. Matthew chapter 24, starting in verse 37, for as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. So he's like, when Jesus comes back, it's just going to be like something that happened when Noah was around. That's what it says. And this is what happened when Noah was around. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. The day Jesus comes back is not going to be the day when that infomercial guy told he's coming back if you send him a little extra money to get the hanky. That's, that's not when he's coming back. And you can be pretty sure that that's not when he's coming back because this tells us that it's going to be a day just like it was another day. People were eating and drinking and getting married. And then all of a sudden it started to rain. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So it will be with the coming of the Son of Man. It's just going to be another day. And you're going to be at your work or you're going to be at your home. You're going to be in your cubicle. You're going to be in your class. And Jesus is going to enter into our world. And it's not going to be fairy dust and a unicorn floating from outer space. He's going to invade our universe. And it's just going to be another day. <clears throat> Third thing. Trust God's plan. I find this at times to be difficult, but I love what this says. Trust God's plan. Um, so we're back into Second Peter, verse 8. This is what it says. But do not, do not overlook this one fact, beloved, 
that with the Lord one day is a thousand years and a thousand years is as one day. And then it says, the Lord is not slow. Come on. Like that's, this is the part that I struggle with sometimes. You know why? Because I'm not that smart. Like we can't grasp Jesus totally. Like if you could understand everything about him, he would just be a buddy. He would not be God. And so we can't understand everything. But he says, it says that he's not slow to fulfill his promise as some, the slow ones like me, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you. Why is he patient? Not wishing that anyone should perish, but that all should reach repentance. There's a reason why he's slow. A thousand years is one day, and one day is a thousand years. Like it, if you really tried, if we all tried really hard to try to figure this out and we just sit and we think and we think, some of us would start, like smoke would start coming out of our ears because we would short circuit this, okay? Because here's the thing. We think about past, we think about present, we think about future, okay? And everything we do in our lives is oriented around time. When are we going to go and eat? What time are we doing this? What time do we have to go to class? Everything has to do with time. We read about time in history. We even read about time in future when you read somebody who says, you got to have this phone in the future to do this. Everything has to do with time. Jesus doesn't just know the future, he's in the future. Like we can't, (laughs) we can't understand that. He doesn't just know the past, he's in the past. He's in the future. And so when he steps into our reality, it's going to be crazy. Because it's kind of like, (laughs) the only thing I can think of at the present moment, it's kind of like, it would be similar to the, we got those black curtains at the back of the room and he's, it's just going to be like, and it's going to be like that. I, well, I think, I don't know. But it's very difficult. And then it goes on to say, like, we don't know when and he's being patient. But the reason he's being patient is because he doesn't want anyone to perish. He wants everyone to understand grace. He wants everyone to understand mercy. He wants everyone to understand that, that he made a bridge from our brokenness to God and he wants you. And that's why he's slow. That's why he's being patient. And so for those of you today who you've been running from God, today maybe he's just been patient because he's waiting for you to say yes to him. And so he didn't want to come back before this morning because he knew you would be here as we talked about the second coming of Jesus and that you could respond to the goodness of his grace and his mercy and he's waiting. Why is he waiting so that every tongue and every tribe and every nation can be represented? That's why he's waiting. He's being patient. And so you and I, when we look at some of the nasty stuff that happens in the world and we want to know, what is the deal? You just need to come back and fix this problem. He's being patient because he knows when he comes back, he's coming back with wrath. But he loves you and he loves me and he's being patient We need to move on. I just want you to understand that when he's patient, I don't think it's because he's just being mean. I think it's because he's being merciful. I also think that that should propel us to holiness. 
Shouldn't it? Like, shouldn't that inspire us to be more holy? That he loves us so much that he's waiting because he wants everyone to respond to his grace and his mercy. Should that not propel us to holiness? Does that not inspire you? Does that not encourage you that he's waiting because he wants you? Fourth thing, be ready. (laughs) This one's really interesting to me. Starting in verse 10, it simply says this. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. If you knew that someone was breaking into your apartment, would you just kind of be like, oh, okay, whenever. You wouldn't. You would be ready. You would set up a booby trap. You would do something. You would be ready. This says that he's coming like a thief and that you should be ready and then the heavens will pass away with a roar and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved and the earth and the the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness? So it says, what kind of people should you be? And then it says, waiting for, be ready, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. Don't forget, be ready. But you know what happens to us? One day melts into another day, melts into another day, melts into another day, and we just go about our life. And we wake up in the morning and we drink our fancy coffee We do a job and we come home at night and we just hope that there's not too many bills to pay and we pay a few bills and we spend an ungodly amount of time on Facebook and then we go to bed. And we wake up the next day and we drink some fancy coffee and we go to work and we come home at night hoping that there's not too many bills to pay and we spend an ungodly amount of time on Facebook and we go to bed. And one day becomes the next day becomes the next day and we are not ready. We don't anticipate the coming of God because we think we've got this. You know what that means? We think that we're God. That's a dangerous place to be, my friend. When we start thinking that we are God, it's a dangerous place to be. Last thing, and we should be encouraged by this. Number five, all things will be made new. I was hoping for a little bit of amen or something there. Let's try that again. All things will be made new. Even if you weren't sincere, I appreciate it a lot. This is what it says in verse 12. Waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. Verse 13, but according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth, which, in which righteousness dwells. God is sending Jesus back, not to destroy us, but to refine us, to make us new, to make everything better, to make everything righteous. There will be a day when there is no more weeping. There will be a day when there is no more funerals. There will be a day when there is no more pain. There will be a day when there is no more suffering. There is no more tears. Like that should be a, we should be encouraged. We should be inspired by that. There will be a day when everything that is broken becomes unbroken. 
That's hard for us to grasp, but I want to say it one more time because I think it's easy to just let that sentence pass. There will be a day when everything that is broken becomes unbroken. I want to read you from 1 Corinthians 15. It's just another interesting version of the second coming, but I want to read it quickly together because I think it's inspiring and I just like the way that it says and I think that it would be way better to read more scripture than me to babble anymore. So listen to what it says. 1 Corinthians 15 starting in verse 51. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. He's saying it's going to happen fast. It's not going to be fairy dust and unicorns floating from the sky. It's going to be in a moment. It's just going to happen. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must be put on the imperishable and the mortal body must put on immortality. When the, when the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on the immortality, then shall come to pass this saying. All that to say, we're going to get new bodies. Like I, one day I'll be able to dunk again. Like we're getting new bodies. We're getting new bodies. Like a heavenly body. Some of us maybe should rejoice more than others on that one, but that's good. But then it says, saying that this is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. It doesn't give us victory because we tried really hard or we stopped sinning because we were really good. It comes because of the power of the Lord Jesus Christ, not because of us, but because of him. And then it goes on to say this. It kind of like gives us like a to-do thing. Verse 58, therefore, my beloved brothers... In light that Jesus is coming back is what it's saying. He's returning. He's coming again. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Why do we do the things that we do? Because he's coming again. Because he loves us. Let's pray. God, I pray that in a supernatural God kind of way that you would take the things that we have discussed today and that you would speak to us whatever it is that you want us to hear. God, at this moment, I pray that you would begin to press in upon us. And I pray that we would be reminded of the many promises in your scripture that have already been revealed. The promise of a Messiah. And he came. The promise of a way for forgiveness of sin and Jesus died on a cross and rose again. 
But God, this morning, I pray that we would be even reminded of the promise that he will return again. And that he's just being patient because he wants no one to perish. But he wants people to experience his grace and his mercy and his forgiveness. And as we continue to pray, I want to ask you a couple of questions. For those of you that are currently followers of Jesus, if somebody asks you, are you a Christian, you would respond yes. I wonder, for how many, if you, I wonder if you're like me at all, that maybe sometimes you have forgotten that Jesus is coming again, or that you, haven't, you just haven't recently thought about it, and it hasn't penetrated your mind, and you've just let day after day become day after day. And you maybe today are reminded that we should be, that we should have the returning of Jesus at the forefront of our mind, and maybe we've forgotten about that. If that's you, like if you've kind of forgotten, would you just raise your hand that you were reminded today that Jesus is coming again, and I want to pray for you. Thank you. Thank you. Jesus, you've seen our hands and you already know our hearts and so many of us this morning are saying that we've kind of become complacent that we have let day after day after day go away without thinking about your goodness without thinking that about your second coming that someday you're returning and your wrath will come upon this world but yet we will be restored God I pray that that would inspire us to live a life of holiness not for holiness sake, but so that we could reflect your glory and your goodness to the people around us. God, I pray that you would change us, that you would make us more like you, and then that you would use us to change the world. Jesus, that's what we ask. Until you return, would you use us? Would you make us more like you? Would you help us to see people the way that you see people? Would you please, God, give us eyes to see and ears to hear? And even though thank you is not enough, this morning we say thank you. And as we continue to pray, I want to ask one more question. Because there's people in the room maybe that you've never even heard about Jesus coming again. You've never heard of his grace. You've never heard of his mercy. You've never heard of any of this. And you begin to see a reality this morning that he's coming again and you want him to come for you. And when he sees you, he recognizes you as one of his own. And so if you're not a follower of Jesus, this morning I pray that you would respond to him. Right now he's, he's calling you. I pray that you would respond to him. Even if you don't understand everything that the Bible says this morning, you can understand simply that he died for the forgiveness of your sins. He hung on a cross so that you could be made clean. Those sins that you have, those thoughts that you've had, those things that you do, those things that you know you should do that you don't do, he came and he died for the forgiveness of your sin, and this morning he's pressing into you, and you can simply just respond to him and say, yes, Jesus, I don't understand it all, but I choose to follow you. I acknowledge that I have sin. I acknowledge that you died on a cross for the forgiveness of my sin. Yes, Jesus. Jesus, you are righteous and holy. 
and one day you will break into our reality. And I pray that we would not be surprised. I pray that we would be ready. You are a righteous and holy God. In your name we pray. Amen. So one of the things that we like to do every week at the well is to remember who Jesus is and the sacrifice that he made for the forgiveness of sins. So if you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus, even if it just happened 30 seconds ago as we were praying, this next few moments are for you. So at four places in the room, there's a table, and on the table is a piece of bread. The bread for us reminds us that Jesus' body was broken for us, that he died on a cross. And so you take a piece of that bread, and as you break it off, you remember the sacrifice that he made for you. And you take that piece of bread and you dip it in the cup, which for us represents the blood that was shed for the forgiveness of our sins. And then as you eat that, you're reminded of the sacrifice and you're reminded of his grace and you're reminded of his mercy and you're reminded of his forgiveness and you will be reminded today that he is coming again. And that's what we're asking this morning. We're going to sing three more songs together, but as we worship, when you feel prepared, you don't have to wait for anybody else to give you more instruction. This is your instruction. But at some point as we're worshiping and you're reminded of the goodness of God in your life and you're reminded of his grace and his mercy, just go to the one of the tables. And as you celebrate communion, you're reminded of the sacrifice that he made for you. One other thing that we're going to do this morning, so ushers are going to come forward right now at this moment to receive this morning's tithes and offerings. And we also ask that you drop your uh, communication card in there so some baskets are coming by. And while that goes by, I simply ask that we sit still for a moment and we just think about Jesus. He dies on a cross. He comes back to life. He ascends to heaven and one day he's coming again. Let's think about that reality for just a moment. Let's stand together, and as we worship, I pray that as we clearly understand the wrath of God, it makes the love of God that much more overwhelming. Let's worship together, and let's celebrate who Jesus is and what he's done in our lives.